I woke up in the middle of the night with a voice in my head that was like almost screaming saying, you need to quit. Um, the voice didn't quiet down. And I, for the first time, I think in my career, I listened. I am so proud of myself for trusting my gut there. And I think it's something that's easier said than done. And so I would really encourage folks who aren't sure about where they're at to just pause and listen. Welcome to Ecosystems for Change, where we co-author the playbook on transforming communities by amplifying the impact of changemakers around us. Whether you are an entrepreneur or otherwise changemaker yourself, a citizen who loves their community with a passion and wants to see it thrive, whether you are a mentor, investor, support organization, advisor, philanthropic funder, economic developer, or policymaker, Learn the practical tools and proven tactics of ecosystem builders from all around the world to better support the dreamers, doers, tinkerers, and makers in your community by taking a systems approach to social change. I'm your host, Annika Horn. Today, I want you all to meet Julia Firestone. Julia is a transformational leadership and career coach. She serves experienced social impact professionals to help them unleash their biggest positive impact in the world while living their most fulfilling lives. In today's conversation, you'll hear about Julia's first big quit and how she built a network of impact professionals like no other that not only helped her find her next gig, but has become a rich community of changemakers who show up for each other. If you think networking is so early 2000s, I bet you'll think differently after this conversation. Let's head to Brooklyn and meet Julia Firestone. Hi, Julia. Thank you for joining us on the show today to talk about quitting. You're a bit of an expert in quitting, which sounds funny when I say it, but <laughs> I can say this because I know that you have very bravely fought your way through a lot of different chapters in life and chapters in your career, and you've thought a great deal about what it means to quit and staying true to your passion of creating social impact. So a, a warm round of applause for me. Thank you for being on the show. It is wonderful to have you. Let me start by asking you, if we were coming to your impact ecosystem, where would you take us? Oh, I love that. Well, I want to start by thanking you for having me on, Annika. Um, and yes, we'll get into all those good stories. I do have a lot. Um, but if I were going to introduce you to my ecosystem, I would invite you, unfortunately, to a Zoom room where we've all spent so much time <laughs> the last few years. Um, but I host monthly community open houses for social impact professionals. And you might enter that Zoom room, uh, you know, rolling your eyes at yet another Zoom call, another virtual gathering. But I think you would leave feeling wildly hopeful because the ecosystem that I lead and am part of is a global community of change makers who are on the precipice of leading who are so passionate and dedicated to so many different social impact issues and causes and are really these incredible soon-to-be leaders who are, are changing not only um, the issues that they care about, but also the way that organizations are operating in the social impact world. So uh, my, my hope is that you would leave that room feeling 
like it was not the usual Zoom call, but it was something really special and magical. What in the world do a group of strangers who have this like shared <laughs> passion for social impact talk about in a Zoom room? Well, what I do is multiple rounds of breakout rooms and I bring different questions every time. So I try to mix it up between, you know, the the usual kind of how can we help each other? Where do I need support? And, you know, so much of it is about ecosystem building. It's about tapping into our collective resources and networks and sharing, you know, that that wealth of connection, that wealth of opportunity with each other. But then I also like to include some fun questions. So I'm brainstorming uh, what we'll be talking about in the next one. And there will be rounds about, you know, your favorite cozy place in the world. Um, you know, and I, for me, I picture uh, this beautiful place in Western Massachusetts um, called the Montague Book Mill. Um, just a beautiful tucked away corner of Massachusetts and corner of the world. And so it's sometimes it's questions that are also about connection, about how you can get to know me better. And, you know, we're not just the work that we do, we are whole and complex beings. Um, and so I love for change makers to feel connected to one another at a personal level too, and not just a professional level. All right. So you host these once a month, who can participate? Um, what kind of people show up for these? Who is welcome? Or I assume knowing you, everybody is welcome, but who would this be a good fit for? What kind of person at what stage in their career? Can you narrow that down for us so that whoever listens can identify whether or not they might want to join you next time? Absolutely. So this has only been running for a few months when listeners are hearing our conversation. But the kinds of folks who join are generally mid-career to senior level social impact professionals. So at least 10 years into your career, although you're welcome to join if you have a few fewer years than that um, and want to connect with, with maybe mentors who have more experience. Um, but it's really going to most benefit those who have a good amount of time spent in their field and are you know experts in, in a variety of areas in social impact. Um, you know, I find it's it's primarily kind of generalists or folks who identify as systems thinkers as well, who are trying to connect the dots across um, different global challenges, different people. And so everyone who shows up is both seeking insights and support, often with changing careers, changing organizations. But they're also people who are incredibly generous with sharing their own networks and resources and ideas and insights. And so they're showing up eager to be helpful to others as well. Um, we've had a range of folks from, uh, you know, mid-career professionals in corporate social impact and nonprofits um, to or, or government roles in social impact to recruiters in social impact too. And so I'm on the other end doing all of the fun technical backend stuff, making sure everyone's getting to connect with as many people as possible. Um, and in particular, making sure if there are folks in the room who are going to have a disproportionate number of amazing resources and connections and opportunities that we're maximizing everyone getting to meet that person, um, you know, or the folks who are there. 
I feel like we should have a whole episode just around that because that sounds really intriguing in its own right. So last question, I'm going to rein myself in. Um, is this just for your coaching clients? Is there a subscription model? How do people get involved and, and where do they find out more about this? Yeah, so my clients definitely join um, and attend and help share their knowledge and insights they've gained through working together. But this is for everyone. Um, as of now, when we're speaking and when this is going live, these are free every month. And I try to announce them with a good amount of uh, time so that you can sign up for one. You know, if you can't make it this month, you can sign up for next month. They're totally open. So I would say if you're not sure about it, um, but you are someone who's passionate about social impact, whether locally, domestically, globally, I would say just pop in and join us for one of these conversations. And, you know, in particular, I think if networking kind of stresses you out in the traditional context. So uh, I've had a few conversations with clients who have said, I love how you run these community open houses because I hate that moment when you enter a room to, you know, like a networking event. And the question is, which pair of people do you interrupt? Which group do you interrupt? Yeah. Where do you start? What questions do you ask? And the classic, I'm in New York City, the classic question is, so what do you do? Or what brings you here? And these questions are, you know, boring. They're, you know, we are not just what we do. Um, coming back to my previous point about us being complex human beings. And so I love to give people the questions are already there, so it's as minimally stressful as possible. I'm curating who's in the room, so you're not having to pick you know, who you're going to connect with. And I'm trying to really be intentional too, to, to both help you meet people who are in your own space that you're wanting to, to work in. And you know, if you're changing careers, if you're trying to change careers from education to public health, for example, I'm going to try to connect you in a room. Um, and, and we'll see as the group gets bigger, it might be harder to curate at a, a really high level, but I really do my best to make those intentional connections. So it just takes a lot of the stress out of networking and connecting. You're not doing that cold outreach on, on LinkedIn either. I'm, I'm facilitating all of that. So it, it's kind of nice to just show up with your cup of tea. I say, let your shoulders drop, come as you are, whether you are you know, in your pajamas and you've spent the day crying or you are in a ball gown headed out to a fancy gala, you are welcome to show up as you are. What a generous offer to the community of social impact professionals. So in the name of all of us, thank you, Julia, for <laughs> creating and holding space for us to have those conversations. I will make sure I get the link to the sign up for these open houses and put that in the show notes so that everyone who's listening can pull up the phone or wherever they're listening podcast and sign up right away. So y'all, this is your sign to go sign up if you want to connect with Julia and her global community of social impact professionals. All right, let's go into the conversation. I've already teased everybody that you're a bit of an expert when it comes to quitting. And I would love, I don't want to just let that stand there, but I want to give people a chance and to learn and for you to explain how quitting has played a role in your career. Can you take us back to that quitting moment or one of your quitting moments in the past and talk to us about what was going on at the time and how that moment shaped up for you? I love that you ask about one of your quitting moments because in our preparation conversations for this, I know I talked about, I think, five different quitting moments. 
Um, so I, I will say I nearly quit my social impact career before I started it, where I considered giving up on even getting into a social impact career, uh, particularly because I graduated from college into a global recession. And I was fighting hundreds, if not thousands of people for unpaid internships and getting paid a whole lot more being a nanny while I was doing that. And so I very nearly didn't just gave up on pursuing a career um, that I was passionate about. But we can talk more about that because I have a different quitting moment that I actually want to focus on, um, if that's okay. Yeah. So I, I had eventually, I did make my way into the social impact world, into a nonprofit. And I was in a leadership role. I was doing a lot of ecosystem building, both for our work, which was uh, working in education um, in another country. But I was also doing a lot uh, supporting others in nonprofits across New York City in a networking group that I had started called Wing NYC. Before the Wing, it was um, W-I-N-N-G, or Women in Nonprofits Networking Group. And it started sort of organically connecting people, encouraging them to find opportunities where they felt valued. I didn't know what coaching was at the time, but I was doing somewhere between coaching and mentoring for this network that was organically growing um, pretty rapidly uh, through myself and, and my co-founder, Sophia Sunwoo. Um, and so we were just kind of trying to share resources in the nonprofit space in New York City and I know you talk a lot about collaboration versus competition. And so there was a lot going on there. So all of that to say, um, I had made my way into this space. I was also doing a lot of the connecting, a lot of the um, a lot of the systems building and, and support for folks in nonprofits. And I was about two years into this role in the nonprofit where I was working. Um, and I, I was technically part-time working four days a week, but I was responding to emails at all hours. Mm. I was taking calls on that day. I wasn't supposed to be working. I was online on weekends doing work. And I geared up two years in for the, you know, the annual check-in meeting to ask for a small raise. Mm -hmm. And when I say small, um, I we don't talk enough about salaries, so I'm just going to be really explicit that I was making 30k with no health benefits, living in New York City, and I geared up to ask for what I thought was a massive raise of I think 5k. Bless um, your heart, yeah. as we say in the south. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're you know we're laughing because um, in hindsight that that seems pretty reasonable, um, I would say, and. <laughs> I, I also knew going into that conversation that I had played a major part in launching the core of our program model. I had built out a teacher training program. I had led all of our recruiting for staff, volunteers, interns, done all of the onboarding for that staffing. And I had uh, nearly doubled our annual fundraising from our gala, which I also led. Um, it was very much the the many hats that we talk about in nonprofits. It sounds like you were the CEO or like the vice executive <laughs> director of this whole shop with everything you were doing. I, I was director of operations, but it was a small organization. So it, it really was that, you know, 
that the many hats thing, which I really despise the many hats phrase, but that's, that's what I was doing. Um, and so I geared up for that conversation to, you know, showcase all the evidence I had, um, of the ways I had contributed to the organization, the ways that I was helping to make it more financially sustainable. And not only was I denied the raise due to funding challenges, but I was also asked instead for my salary to be fully withheld <gasps> for the next few months to be paid back after our next gala, which I was running. Oh, wow. That takes some, I don't even know what to call that. What the hell? Yeah, it wasn't great. And at the time, I, and I know you have another question coming, but I will say at the time, I didn't, I didn't have the confidence to challenge it. And so I said, I can't live on nothing. I can take a small reduction in my salary, which then I will get paid back after the gala and borrowed money from my parents oh, and then God. paid them back once I got paid back. Wow. And, you know, it was tough too, because the executive director was also taking a deduction in her salary. And so I really felt that pressure to kind of show up as a leader to the other folks I was working with. But it also really returned to a theme that I've seen come up for so many nonprofit professionals in particular around this sense that if you or or the direct sentiment that if you take a raise, it will reduce the funding we have for beneficiaries and programming. Mm -hmm. And it is so deeply problematic. Um, and, and I'll say more, but I'll pause there for now and say, I, I did take that small reduction. I did not withhold my salary the whole time, but it definitely set the wheels in motion for some change. Take us back into that room, into the conversation. The moment your boss made that request, were you all, rah, rah, I will do anything for the cause, no problem? Or what was your dominant emotion in that moment? What was going through your head and your heart when you heard her ask this, I think, really impossible thing of you? Mm. Yeah, I, I think I felt disappointment and sadness more than anything, but I also really put it on myself and blamed myself for not working even harder or doing even more when I think the reality was my boss was feeling tremendous pressure around the financial sustainability of the organization and it had nothing to do with my performance. But I was, I can picture we were sitting in a room together and I just felt my, you know, like a windowless conference room in a co-working space. Mm. And I just felt my heart drop and felt a lot. I, I put a lot of pressure on myself to make things work for this organization. I had been, you know, as part of it really early days, I, like I said, I helped set up the entire model. And so I 
felt like I had to take it on myself as a leader in the organization to do what I had to do. And pretty immediately stepped into the hallway to call my parents and ask if I could borrow that money. Um, but I, I, I wish I had waited. I wish I had just taken a beat. Um, because it, it was, it was a tough moment. My stomach is like tightening the more you're talking because I think this experience, this emotion will resonate with so many people who listen to this. So many of us who are passionate, who will do whatever it takes to move the cause forward. And yet being on the outside for me to hear your story, I want to time travel back in time and take your boss and shake her and yell at her and say, what are you even thinking, lady? Um, wow. Thank you for sharing that. What a disturbingly great story <laughs> for this conversation about quitting. Um, what happened from that moment forward? Walk us through some of the next steps. Yeah. So, you know, I think partly because I was putting a lot of that blame on myself, I kept my reaction very close to my chest. And I, I did not lash out. I did not. And I, you know, we, we also struggle as folks in social impact with this kind of martyrdom syndrome. Um, and, you know, I, I struggle with people pleasing too. And so I kept it to myself and I wanted to be a little bit, um, a little bit exploratory, I think, with what could happen next. But I also felt uh like it wasn't even an option to quit. It it felt like something that would be so um, disrespectful that would, you know, take away from the cause. I had all of these thoughts going through my head of, you know, how bad a person I was for wanting to leave the organization when really I just wanted to be valued. And so that could have happened within the organization. It could have, it, it ultimately happened somewhere else. But you know, I, I started reaching out to folks who I already knew in my network from uh, the Wing NYC group that I was running, um, you know, other friends who I knew in nonprofits. And I started having two to three coffee meetings with people already in my network um, pretty much every week. And it, it took a long time to get that next role, but I, I'm Sure, I'm thinking back now, I was applying to a few roles, but I went really heavy into the relationship building side of it, which I, I strongly encourage for my my clients as well in coaching, um, particularly because the statistic that, that we like to throw around is about 80% of jobs are uh, found through your own relationships and network. And I, I didn't know that technically at the time, but it felt a lot more energizing for me as an extrovert to be meeting people for coffee and connecting and building relationships versus doing lots and lots of cold applications and not hearing back. Um, and so I was doing a ton of, of those meetings. Um, every single person I met with, I had a few standard questions. I had and ask for three new introductions to people I should meet who I didn't already Genius. know. Yes, yes. And yes, and so I had this kind of never ending supply of connections. And what's interesting at the time I felt, you know, I felt a sense of urgency. I felt pretty depleted. I was feeling, uh, you know, I had very little confidence. Um, and I was doubtful that I was 
quite frankly, worthy of any any other role. But now looking back, I met some of my dearest friends through those conversations and through those, you know, second, third degree introductions and people who I'm still, you know, regularly collaborating with, in touch with, who I admire and adore and would not have met if not for going through that transformational time. And so that, that I think was huge for me. And, you know, the other thing is I, I reached out to one of our board members. So I didn't share with the organization, with my colleagues, with my boss, with the founders that I was feeling ready for some change um, or <laughs> really just needing to be valued. But I did reach out to one board member in particular who um, has not only at that time, but has continued to be someone who unlocks the door at that key moment for me. Um, that one board member who really chose to show up as a mentor and create opportunities along the way. And so I was also speaking with her regularly. She was connecting me with, with really senior, amazing people who I consider mentors and friends now. Um, and so that was, that was what kept me afloat, quite frankly, during that period of, of nearly a year. Um, let me jump in there with a few things. Number one, I think the way I imagine you must have felt after that conversation is not necessarily where I get the most energy. So kudos to you for, even though you didn't have the self-worth that you deserved and deserve every day. But then putting yourself out there to have those conversations, I think is it takes such an extra boost of, of strength and confidence and positivity and hope because you're drawing from a nearly empty well already to put yourself out there in front of new people. I think that is absolutely, absolutely admirable. And everyone who's applying for jobs, when, when I heard you say, I'd rather meet people and build up my network than send out cold applications. I feel that so deeply. I think there is, to me, there is not, I mean, there are worse things, but when it comes to job hunting, having to write these cover letters and, and trying to somehow match the keywords and whatnot, it just, oh, it sounds awful. <laughs> and then, um, did you, so did you just email people and call them up and say, hey, I'm looking for a new role. Can we grab coffee? And they would say, yeah, sure. I was tomorrow, 3 p.m. Or how did those conversations go? How forward were you and was that the reason you were meeting or was it a, a generally, I would just love to learn more about your career and have a conversation around this topic of career transitions and impact and, you know, personal and professional growth? Yeah. So at the time they were, I, I don't think I had come to terms yet with the fact that I wanted to leave. So you talked about that slow burn and how long it takes us to actually get clear on the decision at the top of this conversation. And I don't know if I had admitted it to myself when I first started these conversations that I wanted to leave. And so it, I was reaching out, you know, just to get to know people and out of curiosity. But I think a really big thing that I was doing, possibly without knowing it then, and that I do with great intention now and encourage for all of my clients and community as well, is something that uh, Susan McPherson uh, talks about quite a lot in her book, The Lost Art of Connecting. And Susan's actually someone who our board member introduced me to, who I now you know, greatly admire, who's an amazing ecosystem builder. Um, 
And so, you know, I, I was, I realized reading Susan's book that I was actually innately doing this. I was coming to these conversations, seeking ways that I could help anyone I was meeting with. And that could have, that showed up at times as offering introductions to other people I had been connecting with who could help them. It showed up sometimes as me putting on a little bit of a, a coaching hat before I knew what coaching was and helping them get clarity about a challenge they had, um, sometimes more advising or mentorship, but it was it was showing up seeking to be helpful in some way, which is maybe also the positive part of my people-pleasing uh, inclinations. But, you know, it, it meant that those conversations felt mutual. There was never, I never made an ask to, you know, pick someone's brain, which is one of my least favorite phrases. It was never about, um, you know, drawing something out of someone else. It was about playing, you know, a much longer view of, of deep and meaningful relationship building and how we can support each other as a collective. So it, it was going in with that. And I don't know if I expected to get a job in a direct way through any of those individual conversations, but there was something to just building up a wider community. And then I also had more to offer each next person I met with because I had so many other people I could connect them with too. How much time happened between that conversation with your boss and you actually quitting? And did you have the next thing in place before you quit? Or did you quit because you had enough and would just figure it out afterwards? It was about a year from that conversation to when I actually left the organization. But I, like I said, I had talked to that one board member, but I hadn't told anyone else in the organization. And unfortunately, it it sort of, or maybe it was a good thing, it sort of slipped out when a friend of mine volunteered for our gala, which was, you know, this this initial conversation had happened in May or June, and then the gala was in November. And my friend who was a volunteer at the gala might have had a couple drinks after finishing up volunteering <laughs> and Oops. without realizing it spilled the beans to one of the co-founders of the organization and said, oh, Julia, do you think you're going to miss running this gala when you leave? And Oh, no. <laughs> and I was, we're good friends still now, but I was pretty upset at the time. Um, and, and thankfully that co-founder was really respectful and really encouraging and said, you know, it, it's perfectly reasonable for you to look for other opportunities too. And, and there's no judgment. Um, you let me know if you'd prefer I keep this to myself. And, and so he did for a bit, but he really encouraged me to share with others and said, I, I don't think anyone's going to be mad. We're not going to force you out immediately. Don't worry. But it was still, I, I remember I went to my boss's house at the time um, in January then. So it still took me a little time before we had that conversation. And we were co-working from there instead of from the office that day. And I, I don't know if I've ever been more nervous in my life. Um, I was really worried that she was going to hate me or, you know, I don't know, yell at me or think poorly of me or 
say, why don't you just leave now if you don't want to be here? And I was going to be left with nothing because I didn't have anything else lined up at the time, but I knew it was sort of festering inside me and it felt really bad to have this secret and not communicate it with, you know, as as much as that conversation was that the conversation where I found out I was not going to get the raise didn't feel good, was not, not good practice. Um, I'm still good friends with that person who is my boss now. And we've talked about it since and cleared the air. And, you know, she's asked me for feedback about things she could have done differently. And this is someone, you know, we, we saw each other every day. We generally got along really well. Um, and so it wasn't this kind of distant relationship. And so I was also worried about, you know, the, the friendship there and judgment and, you know, ju- just so many things. And uh, as soon as I started saying I'm considering leaving, at the time I was thinking about becoming a teacher possibly. Um, and I realized once I, I shared that, it, there, there was nothing shocking about that, you know, and I was also finishing up graduate school at Teachers College at Columbia. And so I had this advanced degree, or I was soon to have this advanced degree. I was, you know, living in an expensive place. I was, you know, probably going to need healthcare soon. Um, And so it was really understandable to her. You know, the, the, as soon as I got it out, her response was so supportive and it wasn't, you know, oh, I want you to leave. It was, thank you for, for sharing that. How can I help you? <laughs> and wow. so, the sense of relief was, was tremendous. I think we don't talk enough about how it affects our nervous systems going into those conversations, regardless of how they turn out and going through that moment. And I've had you know, like we talked about before, so many experiences with quitting where the lead up is, for me, in my experience, the lead up has always been the worst part. Getting clarity on that decision and then actually communicating it has always been the hardest. And the reaction is then something you can work through and discuss and, and negotiate. But holding on to it feels, and, and not knowing that response feels pretty intense for me, at least, and for most of the the clients I work with. So we talked about that initial conversation with your boss about not only not giving you a raise, but actually asking you to live off of less. You went through this whole year of seeing what else is out there, meeting new people and building up your network. Were there other milestones that really helped break that straw or were those the big the two big steps that you took until you knew, okay, it's time for me to leave and go somewhere else. So looking back, there were more moments. I don't know if I realized it at the time, but really early on when I first started, um, I had a, a different boss initially and I, I often didn't really feel heard. And I think that was affecting me without realizing it at the time, but a, a the first milestone was the day after the first gala that I ran. Uh, there was a board meeting at our co-working space, and I was the only person on the team who was not invited to that. <gasps> so it was the co-founders and the board, 
and you know I mean that was our our organization was really small to be fair but I was the only New York based employee who was not part of that conversation and and that might have been okay except that um, a friend of mine who was not on the board not a founder I had just casually introduced our executive director at the time to this friend of mine he was invited to the board meeting and I was in the next room over writing thank you notes um, for for the folks who attended the gala. And uh, it I'll, I'll name that as sexist. Um, my boss that I later had, um, who was a woman, uh, you know, supported me and said, okay, we need a more diverse board. Let's work on that together. You know, we talked about it. Um, but it it felt really exclusionary. It felt really bad. And that was probably the initial question mark for me in whether this could be a good fit longer term. And then I, I think after that, there were patterns of being told no to creative ideas that I had, um, you know, solutions that I proposed, and a, a sense of pretty intense risk aversity that, you know, was understandable because of nonprofit funding and budgets and all of that. But it also meant that I think we were, I felt creatively, you know, a bit stifled and um, and maybe like I, I wasn't able to contribute in the ways that could have really helped the organization too. Um, and then I think personally having that financial instability with a sense of overwhelm, working on all of these different parts of the organization was just kind of an overarching experience. Um, and so all of those things came, I think, before that conversation about the raise um, and were pretty significant towards that decision and, and feeling, you know, not as valued as I needed to be in order to stick with it. Thank you for taking on a journey to the dark corners of your nonprofit career. That was pretty, that was pretty gruesome and hard to hear. And I imagine even harder to live in the time. But thank you for sharing that with us. I would love to jump into the into the presence. What does your life look like now? I know you're not working for a nonprofit anymore. I know you're running your own business. So how is life different? What does it look like these days? Yeah. Well, between then and now, without listing my resume, <laughs> I will say it it took a about a year from that initial raise conversation for me to find the next opportunity, which was working as a consultant for a five month contract. Um, and I really, during that role, got to sink my teeth into partnerships and ecosystem building. And I hadn't really understood the world of partnerships before that, but getting that experience um, and, and getting paid my previous salary within the five months. <laughs> nice. So I think getting that experience in partnerships was a really big game changer for me. And through that, I was able to also see the power of the ecosystem, the power of relationship building and connection, because I met uh, the person who would go on to be my team member, my boss at the corporate where I worked next. And so I was in uh, corporate social impact, running partnerships around global literacy campaigns, um, after that consultancy, 
and doing amazing ecosystem building for the literacy field from this position as a both a funder but also a convener i was able to connect the dots between resources between um, organizations across different sectors uh, and really push forward best practices um, from that position and so I was doing a lot more ecosystem building actually in my corporate work after I left nonprofits. But at some point that shifted and I moved into corporate strategy and innovation where I that took on a different flavor. I was actually still doing a lot of ecosystem building around innovation within our organization and running innovation sprints with really amazing global diverse teams of folks from all different leadership levels from 12 different countries, um, working on both business challenges, but also, you know, organizational and, and um, you know, challenges of breaking down silos, things like that, um, which was great, but it was missing the social impact component for me. So taking us forward to where I am now, I'm getting to bring all of that great stuff that I worked on in the corporate setting of, you know, pushing forward best practices, connecting the dots between different players in social impact work, um, bringing in all of the innovation stuff that I was doing and capacity building, but also innovation sprints and bring it all towards being a transformational career and leadership coach for mid-career and senior level social impact professionals. So I get to enable the next generation of social impact leaders to thrive, not only in their careers, but also in their lives beyond. And I do that both in private coaching as well as group programming. So I run a program called the Purpose Career Lab for Social Impact Professionals. And it's a, a three-month career change accelerator. Um, but really, I use the word accelerator, but really it's more of a support group for social impact professionals changing careers. So there's tons of great resources and you can add on coaching, all of that good stuff. But um, what's really the sort of secret sauce is that network effect of great, generous, again, change makers who are sharing their networks, their advice, their insights, um, both in live calls, but also in a group chat that's very active. And people are always sharing job opportunities and connections and um, asking each other questions. Um, and and then the last piece is I, I'm starting to run retreats um, in uh, this year, actually. So. Um, that's something new I'm, I'm building out and exciting and yeah, it's, it's all, you know, really for that cause of supporting the next generation of leaders in the social impact space. Fantastic. So unfortunately, by the time this interview airs, your first retreat will already be over, but uh, for everyone who wants to get a sense for what Julia is all about, she's actually hosting this small group retreat in a little chateau in France to pull people out of their day-to-day -day and just have this really immersive experience of being somewhere else and really focusing on themselves, which I am so thrilled to hear how that goes and what that evolves into. Will you be hosting another retreat in 2023? That is a great question. I will keep you posted. And if I do have something in the works, we'll make sure to share it with you before this conversation goes live. Fantastic. All right, everybody. Uh, I hope you got your listening ears on. If this is something you've always wanted to do or you're in the process of changing careers, we got Julia here for you who will help you out and help guide you through that transition. 
Um, Julia, this is wonderful. Last question before we go into the rapid fire round. What did you learn from that quitting experience? You now have the gift of hindsight and you can connect dots that you probably didn't see at the time. What are some of those key takeaways and how do they influence and in how you show up in the world these days? The really big thing that I learned in hindsight is that it wasn't just about me, that these are systemic problems in the world of social impact and particularly nonprofits. And so I would say today I am a fierce advocate for equity and fairness, especially for folks in social impact and nonprofits around labor exploitation. And we're seeing more and more nonprofit teams who are unionizing. There is some big transformation happening. It's moving slowly. Things like salary transparency are becoming more the expectation, more normalized, but it's still a big problem for a lot of nonprofits who are continuing to make excuses about, you know, oh, it's hard for us to figure out salaries for different geographies. And, you know, for, for me, that's just another signal of, of exploitation of labor that you're trying to squeeze, you know, more labor for less money. Um, and, and so I think that the result of that experience, you know, even just that one conversation is that I feel a little bit like a, um, a, a mama bear when I meet any folks in nonprofits and social impact who are being exploited and struggling to name that or identify that and helping them to see the ways in which they are not just being undervalued, but actively being exploited. And the power of that word changes everything about the perspective there. I do want to point out that for some strange reason, we have this weird idea that if you do purpose-driven work, you don't need the money because you're filling your purpose, you're living your purpose, you're filling your cup elsewhere. So it's okay if you make less money than everybody else. And can we all please just agree that that is total BS and <laughs> that we all need to be paid so that we can live a good life and that we can take care of ourselves and of our families and of our communities. And what really, really pisses me off is this argument of, or this idea that you need to keep overhead low in a nonprofit so that as much of the funding as possible goes to the end results, to the beneficiaries that we're here to serve. Because whoever thinks that you can serve people well and holistically, when your staff are overworked, underpaid, frustrated, disappointed, maybe even depressed and don't feel valued, you are out of your mind. If you think that you're going to get the best out of people when they can't, you're not even giving them a chance to show up as their best selves. I don't know where that came from. I really want to talk to the person who's responsible for this crazy idea that is still out there decades later. But yes, this is one of my main criticisms of the nonprofit space, not any particular nonprofit, but I think the system has been set up in a way that it really doesn't serve anyone. I mean, who wants to be the boss who is trying to operate under those assumptions? Who wants to work in an organization where that's the case? And really, are the beneficiaries better off if that's how the, the aid or the support gets delivered? I feel like this is losing on all fronts and we have to do away 
with this idea. So I love what you're saying around pay transparency. I remember there was a LinkedIn conversation a few months ago where someone shared a role and you very politely and professionally said, hey, this sounds like a great role. Thank you for sharing. I wonder what it pays. Because guess what? If people go the extra mile to even apply for this and even spend their time reading the application guidelines and requirements, how are you not even telling them what it's going to pay? Like, how can you expect people to apply? So, oh, yes, you are speaking to so many things. So many things. I feel like I need to come and be in your community more so I can vent and learn from other people on how to do it better. So thank you. Um, remember how I said this is the last question before the rapid fire round? I was just kidding. I have one more. <laughs> um, when you find yourself slipping back into a bad pattern, be it negative self-talk or low self-esteem or really just finding yourself in a situation again where you think, I'm not sure I can continue on on this path. What do you do to anchor yourself, return to yourself and make sure you're taking care of yourself? So I actually went through this again, not so long ago. It's a, a fresher wound. So it's not the quit story that I chose to share, but I actually quit a startup I co-founded um, in the not too distant past. And I would say the the biggest thing for me, you know, it wasn't necessarily about things like meditating or journaling, but it was listening to my intuition. Um, and so in that case, I actually, uh, this is going to get into a bit woo-woo territory as I would give us it, some woo-woo yes some some woo-woo um I woke up in the middle of the night with a voice in my head that was like almost screaming saying you need to quit and I I said okay I, I can't think about this right now can you quiet down um the voice didn't quiet down and I I for the first time I think in my career I listened and thankfully had therapy the next day after this dream and so i did talk to my therapist about it and it just felt so true when i said it out loud it felt scary to say out loud but um you know it and it was still i still struggled with actually leaving um because i was really passionate about the work and you know had built these these really strong relationships with the co-founders but also with the folks we were serving but I am so proud of myself for trusting my gut there. And I think it's something that's easier said than done. And so I would really encourage folks who aren't sure about where they're at to just pause and listen. And our bodies have so much intelligence that we ignore and suppress. And it's not good for us, one. But it's also, we have so many of those answers within ourselves already. So if you listen in and you feel like something's off, you know, you feel that sense of like your heart sinking or your stomach feels tight in a knot when you have meetings or you're just avoiding the work. There are all these different clues in our behavior, too, that track back to how we're feeling and what we really desire. And so, you know, that's the biggest thing for me is is creating intentional moments to listen in to that intuition. Wonderful. Julia, thank you so much. 
Before we move on to the last part of this conversation, I want all of our listeners to know that they can learn more about you at juliafirestonecoaching.com, all one word. Of course, the links will be in the show notes. And you can always connect with Julia on LinkedIn, where she uh, likes to fire up some controversial conversations that <laughs> you don't want to miss when you're on LinkedIn. So um, head on over, go down the rabbit hole of Julia Firestone. You will not be disappointed. All right. The final three questions. Are you ready? I am. Quitting is? Sometimes necessary, but unfortunately still too stigmatized. Good one. I like that. An ecosystem builder that everyone else should know about is? Jasmine Anuna, who is the founder of The Bloom. All right. Wonderful. I'll make sure I get the link so people can follow up on that. Lastly, what is one resource that influenced you that you would recommend to other ecosystem builders? Well, I have to obviously give a pitch for coaching as a resource. And I would also give one for therapy because I think being an ecosystem builder takes a lot. There's, there's a lot under the surface. Um, and so therapy is always great. Um, but whether you are a coach or not, whether you're receiving coaching or not, I really want to recommend a book. It is called Love Letter to the Movement. It's by Sarah Jawade and Damon Azali Rojas. They were actually my coach trainers for the coaching certification I did. And I think every ecosystem builder would benefit from having some liberatory coaching insights and skills. So I want to give a big shout out both to them and the program that they run, Coaching for Healing Justice and Liberation, but also this incredible resource. Brilliant. Julia, you have taken so much time out of your day to talk to us today. Thank you. Thank you also for being so open about some of these pretty gruesome experiences. I feel like we had some shared, I don't want to say suffering, but I think I hope that people can see themselves for better or worse and some of what you've gone through. So Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, thank you for all the resources you dropped throughout the episode. This has been an incredibly rich conversation and I can't wait to have you back on the show to find out how the retreats are going and how you continue to work with social impact professionals around the world. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Annika. I loved our conversation. Find out more about Julia and her work at juliafirestonecoaching.com and connect with her on LinkedIn. If you'd like for me to talk about ecosystem building for social change in your community, on your podcast, or at your event, please contact me at socialventurers.com. I pay my respect to the traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live, the Monacan, Shawandasetula, and Monahawk people. I recognize their continuing connection to land, water, and community. I pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging. This episode was produced by Yellow House Media.